Today our passage is from 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, have you ever had one of those mornings where it seems like nothing is going right for you? That in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal, but in the microcosm of your everyday existence, it seems to remind you just how broken the world is, just how much has gone wrong and seems to continue to go wrong. How a copier not working can send a man of God into an existential crisis wondering if Satan has somehow possessed said machine and is working its way to possess that pastor so that he will let loose a stream of profanity that would make even a sailor blush. And in the back of my mind, I think to myself, see, this is just the broken world, right? Like, I had an illustration, but this is so much better. (laughs) That it reminds us that though we try to change things, we'll maybe put the paper in a different tray. We'll maybe try and bypass it if we just stop it. What if I flip the paper like this and put it back in? Maybe if I lick it and get it going. If I do the work, if if I figure out the problem, then this small microcosm of a frustration that reveals our desperate understanding that the world is broken, perhaps I can get it fixed. And by getting it fixed, then we'll have colored copies of the worship folder for everybody. And if I do it before 10, then most people won't even know it was a problem. And yet people kept walking in. Can we help? No, get out! (laughs) That's not what I said. That's what I wanted to say. I love you people, but get out. Don't you know I can take care of this myself? This sermon series that we're in is coming together. And as we began this series, we, we made the comment and we recognized that Uh, While we have um, atrophied in our social muscle, while we are still learning, clearly not here, but in other places, still learning how to engage with one another, that there is something actually deeper going on in society and the world that shows that there is a brokenness and a separation between us. And we needed to go back to the source. So two Sundays ago, we talked about Adam and Eve and the sin that caused separation That when they decided to exchange the knowledge of God for the knowledge of good and evil, when they decided that their experience with God, they could not trust, and so they needed to experience some piece of fruit. And in experiencing that piece of fruit, experienced evil, so they knew it. They became knowledgeable of it. That they reacted by feeling shame, by separating, by blame shifting, and eventually hostility grew up between people. 
And we then talked last week about the fact that that actually still rests on us, that we're actually present in Adam's sin, that there's a place where that is our sin as well, that that's where our brokenness started and it's where our brokenness resides. And so that even now, as we walk into those places of brokenness where we feel shame and we want to separate from people and we want to figure out how to blame it on others, that we can't just blame it on Adam that we rest in it ourselves. But as we saw there in Romans, there was a conversation about the second Adam, the one who was to come, the one who was promised even in the first story that we talked about that would crush the serpent's head. I'm just going to go back to what we read last week from Romans 5, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was just a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. For the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of relationships and righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. You see, Jesus is that man. He is the way that we move from the place that we are to the place that God created before the foundation of the world for it to be like. To return us to what it always was, but yet something brand new for us. But it scares us. It scares us because we recognize that when we begin to talk about Jesus and we move away from this, the platitudes of this good teacher, we recognize that we have to eventually confront the cross. And the cross is not a fun thing to confront. It, it, it seems so abnormally wrong for us to look at the cross and go, so that's how you're going to do this. That there's some divine punishment that needs to take place. And so over many centuries, as people have wrestled through what the cross is and what it looks like, many ideas have sprung up for what it means. In fact, when we go to Scripture, we see lots of different ways that this sacrifice of Jesus, this thing that brings about wholeness, is described as. Some say there's eight categories. Some say there's 15 categories. Fleming Rutledge, in her book, The Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ, says, I want to take it down to two. I like that. I'm a simple person. 
Clearly, I can't even work a copier. She says this, As a preliminary exercise, let us think in terms of two overall categories, rather than three, let alone eight or sixteen. These two are more or less applicable to each of the motifs examined and have already anticipated in the chapters of this book to come. These two categories taken together encompass, in one way or another, the multifaceted biblical imagery as fairly as any other categories could. Taking Scripture as a whole, considering the Old Testament and the four Gospels, together with all of the epistles and even revelations, we see two things happening in the cross of Christ. God's definitive action is making a vicarious atonement for sin. That the cross is understood as a sacrifice, a sin offering, a guilt offering, substitution. She says related motifs to this are the scapegoat that we see in the Old Testament, the Lamb of God, and the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Then she says God's decisive victory is also over an alien power of sin and death. That the cross is understood as victory over those powers and deliverance from bondage, slavery, and oppression. The related themes of this is the new exodus. The herring of hell, Christus victorus, Christus victor. This category is particularly linked to the kingdom of God and actually has a strong future orientation. Let me break that down. Not in a rap. I just watched Hamilton last night, so it's all in my head. When we see Christ on the cross, we see, if we look at all the imagery that's all throughout Scripture, is that Christ is the atoning sacrifice. That means that there was a sacrifice that needed to be made in order to bring us back into right relationship with God. And that atoning sacrifice had to be somebody that was perfect had to be somebody who was as close to the image, nay, even God himself. And we see Christ being the victor, that there is sacrifice and there is freedom, a breaking of bondage that says there is something that has a hold of you and I'm creating a new kingdom and I'm bringing you out of that old kingdom into the new kingdom so that you can follow me. So it's not an either or. It's a both and. And sadly, within the church, there are arguments about which is which and which is right and which is better. And people draw lines and they say to themselves, well, if you believe in this substitutionary atonement, if you believe in that, then you believe in a cosmic child-abusing God. That he would put his son on a cross how mean is that to die? But there are those that are on that side that look over here and they say, if you believe that it's only about deliverance from bondage, then you go down the slippery slope of social warrior justice. That you go down this slippery slope where you'll begin to think that it is only about freeing people from oppression in the physical 
and you'll forget about the spiritual. Now, some of you might be like, I've never thought about either one of those. That's all right. Except that in some way, we rest in one of those two places. We rest in a place where we wrestle between. What what is this that God actually did on the cross? What took place? How do we get to this new way? And Paul makes it very succinct for us in 2 Corinthians. He says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That actually all the motifs that we can talk about, whether it be atoning motifs or whether it be uh, freedom from bondage motifs, all of those things that we could talk about, what really, what, what all of them are pointing to, what they all hold on to is this verse. That what takes place is that the steadfast, loving, ever-pursuing God comes down to earth and says, it's a wreck, it's broken, it needs to be made whole, it needs to be redeemed, it needs to be returned to the way that it was designed to be, and only I have the ability to do it. And so he comes in flesh as Jesus Christ. And he walks about and he lives a life struggling within the brokenness of the world, but never submitting to that struggle. Tempted, but never sinning. So that he can be presented as the pure, spotless lamb. So that he can be the one who is the captive who is set free to bring all other captives with him. He has to make himself completely human in order to be so self-sacrificing. He becomes sin. He takes all of it upon him. The Greek is very clear here. It says he becomes sin. We, we want we, we to, pastors, preachers, we want to make that a little bit lighter. We want to say all the sins of the world got put on him. Because that seems a little bit easier. But the Greek, the original language, what Paul is pushing to is saying he became it. He took it all on. So here's the incarnate God, the one who is holy, the one who is right, the one who has known it all. He says, I will take the brokenness of the world the separation that it causes, the shame that it brings, the blame shifting that springs from it, the hostility that resides in it, I will take all of that upon myself and I will crush it. But I have to do it by crushing myself. It says Jesus became sin. Him who knew no sin because he was righteous and holy and pure. Now, for a long time, we've used that to make people guilty. I say we because us being preacher types. Because one of the things that's hard for us to do is actually trust that the Holy Spirit's going to move in your lives and make your hearts be turned to flesh. It's really hard for us to look out at the people that God, we feel, has called us to shepherd and care for and love 
and to trust that God's actually working in your life without a little bit of help from Lee Hinkle. And so we'll do things that cause this beautiful imagery of God's self-sacrificing love to get twisted. We'll say to you things like, so every time you're about to sin, think of yourself nailing Jesus on the cross. Because this says that Jesus became that sin. How shameful of us to do that because we actually, in doing that and trying to make it bigger to make you feel shame and guilt, we're running back to the old way of life. As opposed to saying to you, check this out, that the holy God completely recognized the place that we're at in in our brokenness and willingly grabbed hold of it all and put it on himself. So when those who hear about this atonement, this substitutionary atonement, where Jesus is the one that's put on the cross by the mean, bad father God, and it's some sort of divine child abuse, they forget that we're talking about the Trinity here. That when we see Jesus step onto the cross, we see God placing himself on the cross. And so it's not child abuse. It is actually God self-sacrificing himself completely to take on all of the brokenness of the world in order to make it as he spoke it into existence. To make it brand new. But that's just part of it. You see, because we then are placed in Christ in order to be his righteousness. Listen, it says, so that... In him, meaning in Jesus, in what he has done, in who he is, we might become the righteousness of God, the wholeness, the completeness, everything that he is. Not the divinity of God. It's not like we become little God children, but we become children of God. And by becoming children of God, we walk in Christ's righteousness, in his perfection, in all that he did. That means that we've moved away from needing to be atoned for because that was once and done. And we are no longer in bondage because we are no longer slaves to the sin that so easily trap us up. So what we've done is we've moved from the place that we've been into a new identity, into a new place which is in Christ and in his righteousness it's this big we are not placed in that righteousness we are not saved by the act of jesus dying on the cross we are saved by jesus Too often we're like, thank you for dying for me. Yes, thank you for dying for me. But then we somehow neglect to say, thank you, Jesus, for being Jesus. For being the one who takes it all. For being the Trinitarian Jesus. The one who encompasses God and Holy Spirit together. That pulls us into community as you've created created us to be. That it's not just the act that saves us, it is Jesus himself. In his book, The Atonement and the Holy Trinity, T.F. Torrance says this, 
In Jesus, God has drawn near to us, and we may draw near to God with complete confidence as those who are included in his atoning self-presentation through the eternal spirit of the Father. That is surely what it means for us sinners to have access to the Father through the blood of Christ. That we are actually drawn in. That when Christ takes on the brokenness of the world, when He becomes sin on the cross, He is taking not just our sin, but us there as well. That our old self, that our broken self, That the places where we are hurting, the places where we hurt, the places where we are damaged and the places where we have damaged, the places where we are prideful and the places where we are made low, the places where we have courage and the places where we have weakness, in those places, God takes us onto himself on the cross so that we then are released and put into Christ himself so that we can be the righteousness of God. And that's so important for us because it's in that that we're able to then go back and identify the brokenness of the world. And in identifying the brokenness of the world, we do not lose hope. We can move forward within it knowing that we are in Christ and He has accomplished and uh, and conquered the pain that is there. And the beauty of it is he doesn't have us do it alone. Just as himself didn't do it alone. That he did it within community. That he places us with one another. And so very broadly speaking, as we look at the cross, as we go, okay, how did we get here? Well, we got here because sin entered in the world through Adam and Eve. And not just Adam and Eve. Of course, I perpetuate this because I am in Adam and Eve's sin. So what's the solution? What's the way? What's the place for where we can return to what it was always like? It is right here. That's where we're at. It's in this grand imagery of the cross. And too often we treat the cross as some event that has taken place because that's what it is. But it is something that causes us to live our lives today. Because why? We were placed in Christ in the cross and in his resurrection. And so it is both atonement and it is both freedom. It is sacrifice and it is release. It is being made new and being spotless. Very broad. And we do that because of what God has done. And in that we have hope. I go back to what we said last week. We, we don't really want it just to rest on some person to cause us to be guilty. right? We don't want to go back and say, well, because of Adam, then I'm sinful as well. That seems very unfair. Here's the reason why we want that to be the case. Because we need one person then to save us. We need one person to make us whole. If it is only one person that caused all of this to happen and that we reside in that, we only need one person then to make it right. We only need one person to bring wholeness and completeness to us. And Jesus says, I am that person so much so that I'll take all the brokenness of the world and I will inhabit it so that you can have your 
living in me. Amazing. We should be undone. It should cause us, or me at least, to sing songs of praise so loudly that I, I, I freak out all those that are around me almost as loudly as I was about to let things go when I was working on the copier. That sense of anger and frustration that I have so welled up because the brokenness of the world. When I see that God has possessed and taken all of it on and released us to his righteousness, then I should have that same amount of joy and recognition and hope. Oh, and surety that there is grace because guess what? I'll forget this in about five minutes. As will you. But God is good. And he gives us each other to remind us of what God has done and what he will continue to do. He gives us a scripture to remind us of what he has done and what he has called us to do. He gives us Holy Spirit himself for us to know what he has done. Now next week, we're going to go a little bit more micro. Because there's one thing that we really haven't hit on yet. We're going to talk next week about how God on the cross puts to death hostility. Because if we're going to be together again, then that's got to get be dealt with. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good. And all you do is good. We hold on to you because... You're all that we can hold on to. You are our surety. You are the one who makes all things new. You are the one that makes things right and whole. It is in your steadfast love that you pursue us to bring us to the place that we are in Christ. And so, Father God, we worship you. We hold on to you. And Father, if there are any words that are not your words today, we ask that they burn up, that they fly away. But if there are words that are your words today that have been spoken, they will take root in our heart so that they will do good work and that they will bring glory and honor to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.